Good morning, church. We'll be in Matthew 19 today. Some of you may have noticed in that women's retreat announcement that that Bible was in German. You may catch that. So Pastor Bert has been studying a new German, so we've decided to do a whole women's retreat in German. So <laughs> Kathy Wilson, you got it. No, I just... Okay, Matthew 19. This morning we reached the end of our study on, our, our kind of a mini-study on gender, on marriage, on divorce, and now singleness. And today I'm especially talking to teenagers. And a reminder, teenagers, I can see you, so I expect you to be leaning in. Young adults... Anyone who is unmarried, that could include those who are divorced. That could include those who are widowed. Uh, and I'm also speaking to the entire church. This church, this is an, an opportunity for us to lean in. As somebody told us earlier, told me earlier this morning, as a married person, oh, that means I can check out, right? Nah, this is a message for the whole church. Here's the thing: there are a whole lot of singles unmarried in our church. I actually had a whole lot of them over at my house on Friday night. We asked some in the church to bless them with food, with cookies, with dinnerware, and to listen to them sing carols. And they did, because the church loves the singles and the unmarried, and they are part of this family. And we are called to find ways to be hospitable to our singles, to invite them into our homes, those who are never married or the widowed or the divorced, to receive them. And we're called to care for everyone in the body. And one of the ways we care for everyone in the body is to understand the the season that they're in. So singles, understand the season that they're in by being guided not by the increasing rise in singleness in our culture in the U.S. 46% of 18 and over are now single. It's continuing to rise. That includes primarily those who have never been married, but also widowed and divorced. About a quarter of those in the church not guided by the increasing rise in the average age of someone who gets married, which is 30 for a man and 28 for a woman. We want to be guided primarily first on this topic by the words of Jesus Christ. So we turn to the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 19. We'll begin at verses, verse 8 and read to verse 12. Verse 8. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to him, Not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, we do want to receive your word this morning, and we recognize that the flesh gets in the way, distractions, sleepiness. Lord, that there's an enemy who's trying to take away the seeds of the gospel that will go go forth today. So we pray for the work of your spirit to direct us to your word. Illumine our minds to receive it, to believe it, to obey it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on two aspects of singleness that we might be informed and challenged and encouraged by God's authoritative word, whether we're in this season as a single or not. 
So two points. One will be a bit more theological. One will get into a bit more of the practical. So point number one, single with purpose. Single with purpose. In our text, Jesus just responded to the Pharisees and upheld the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is God-ordained, he said. Couples are joined together, not by themselves, but by God. And so we are to remain in covenant marriage to one another. Jesus only gives one exception here. In cases of sexual immorality, you are permitted to be divorced, not commanded. And so that's what Jesus has just laid out. And it's likely, though, in this Jewish society, what's been in the air is the teaching of a liberal divorce view, which means you can get divorced for basically any cause. This is what the disciples would have been hearing and taught. And so when they hear Jesus' standard, his high standard, they spit out like they so quickly do, perhaps shocked, perhaps humorously. Wait a minute, verse 10. If such is the case of a man with his wife, what you just said, Jesus... It's better not to marry. Jesus has given them no escape route in a covenant marriage. And if that marriage ends up bad, they're stuck. And they say, "Ah, maybe we should just remain single, Jesus. Maybe that's the way to go. Look at verse 11 as Jesus responds. Jesus responds by saying, he said to them, not everyone can receive this same, but only to those whom it is given. The disciples didn't realize that there was actually some truth in what they said. In God's good providence, it is better for some to remain unmarried than to marry. But Jesus also says, not everyone can receive that it's better for somebody not to get married. Some can receive this. Some can remain unmarried because God has gifted them to do so. And Jesus turns and says, just look at the eunuchs. How often do you use that word in your sentences these days? Eunuchs. Jesus, I think, it's, I think it's because in this culture, this black and white culture, he needed to really get a point across, so he grabs this illustration of a eunuch. You've got to get this. Eunuchs were not the most liked people in this day. Eunuchs were not able to have children, and which means in a Jewish society where having children, getting married is presented as a duty in that society, being unmarried and being celibate, that was not a valid choice. Something is wrong with you if you are making that decision. For the Jews, emasculation was forbidden, and eunuchs were not allowed into the worshiping assembly. Deuteronomy 23.1. They were in violation of the creation mandate that says, be fruitful and multiply. Well, if you're a eunuch, you cannot be fruitful and multiply. You're in violation of that. And so eunuchs were the black sheep in the community. They had no hope of children to carry on their name. Their inheritance, once they died, there would be no one to remember them. And their land, their inheritance would go to somebody else. So here's Jesus using this black sheep image of a eunuch to get a key point across. He says there's three types of eunuchs in verse 12. Eunuchs have been made eunuchs, so for three reasons. One, by birth. He's talking here about a physical deformity. You're born unable to procreate. You cannot have babies. And we even see this now. There are certain people, it's a very small percentage, but you are born with some type of deformity. We see that. That's natural. Secondly, he says there are eunuchs, made eunuchs by men, castrated or by accident. Or perhaps if they wanted to be a servant in the royal court, they had to be a eunuch. 
We see this in Esther. We see this in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch serving in the royal court. Why? This is really interesting. Why? Why do you want eunuchs serving in the royal court? Because they can't have a bunch of babies and sons and grow up and overthrow the kingdom and establish their own kingdom because they can't have kids. So the eunuchs, if you want to serve in the royal court, got to be a eunuch. So you perhaps made yourself one in that scenario. Jesus says these exist around you. You see these. But he presents a third category. Third category and introduces a different one. He says, some make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Some make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Some, some have read this and taken it literally. Well, if I want to get to the kingdom, I've got to make myself a eunuch. Poor guy named Origen, who was a well-known theologian in the third century, took this literally. And he later regretted it. He castrated himself and he said, whoops, I think I misread what Jesus said there. No going back on that one. So we see some exaggeration here. We see some hyperbole from Jesus. The point is not to physically make ourselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, but Jesus is saying, this is fascinating. Jesus says there's a new era in redemptive history. He's come, which means in the Old Testament, we've seen God build his covenant people through babies, through offspring, through procreation, from Adam to Abraham to Isaac to David. Everyone's looking for offspring. And then we get to the New Testament, and the offspring comes, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, here he is. He is the offspring we have all been waiting for. And Jesus comes, he inaugurates the kingdom of heaven, and now his true people are seen and formed through spiritual birth. Not just this covenant Israelite people, but through spiritual birth, those who have faith and are regenerated. So what does all this mean for singles? That's what John Piper says about all this. He says, children are born into God's family now and receive their inheritance not by marriage and procreation, but by faith and regeneration. Which means that single people have zero disadvantage in bearing children for God and may in some ways have a great advantage. Here's what Jesus is getting at. Here's the change. To be blessed in the kingdom no longer requires marriage and children. But there are singles who give up these blessings for the sake of following Christ and are blessed. Something that was inconceivable in this culture is now totally conceivable in the kingdom. There are single sons and daughters of God and they give their lives to serve the church as spiritual brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Spiritual fathers and mothers. And they have a great advantage to use their time and their efforts and their priorities for the sake of seeing the kingdom advance, for God's name to be honored, for people to know him. They find fulfillment not in sexual activity, but in knowing Christ, in obeying Christ, serving the king, serving his church. And get this, what I just said, the world, the world said that's impossible. You cannot be fulfilled without sexual fulfillment. That is part of being human. That's nonsense. The person saying all this is Jesus, a single man, 100% man, a perfect man, a celibate man, a satisfied man, without ever finding that fulfillment in another woman. Don't tell me that Jesus was not fully fulfilled. So Jesus is our example in that. The problem is there's a whole lot of singles in our world who are not singles for the sake of the kingdom. They are not remaining celibate 
which means they are disobeying Jesus and distorting what it means to be single, and they're living their lives this way, for the sake of self. Singleness for the sake of self. And that's not to be commended. Jesus says, there are some who will live in such a way where they are living as singles for the sake of the kingdom, that is to be honored. But Jesus says he gifts some to be single celibate with a purpose. So as he says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. If you are able to receive this, to be celibate and content, receive it as a gift. That said, marriage is the norm. Most of us in this room are married or going to be married. Marriage remains the norm, but there are some called to embrace their assignment and service to the king like eunuchs serving in the royal court. Barry Danilak puts it this way. He says, the eunuch for the kingdom is the one who voluntarily voluntarily refrains from marriage and family so as to guard his or her freedom for the sake of serving the Lord in whatever way he should call. So here Jesus, he's validating singleness in the church, in his kingdom. In this church, here's why I'm driving at this. This is how we have to view our singles in this church. They have been assigned this for temporarily, perhaps a lifetime, most temporarily for a season, season with advantages for a purpose to serve the king. So it is not a second best it's, it's not a lower class of people in the church until they get married. It is not something to be disdained, but it is, it's a powerful instrument in the hands of the king. Singleness can be a powerful instrument in the hands of the king. Look at Jesus. Look at Paul. Look at John the Baptist. Look at church history. Look at theologian John Stott or Pastor John Wellesley. Singles. Missionaries Amy Carmichael. Lottie Moon. Singles used by God to advance the gospel. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says he wishes all were like him, single and celibate. And I'm like, ha, okay, whatever, Paul. But he wishes all were like him. Why? Because he had the advantage and the gift of undivided devotion to the Lord. And he makes this point. As a married man, you have other anxieties, other things. So he's, but as a single person, undivided devotion to the Lord. Not everybody can receive that. They say, I wish you could. So here's, here's my point. If you're single, God calls you. Let me pause. If you're single, if you're a parent of someone single, if you're a little child who's one day going to be a big child and a big single, get this. God calls you to embrace your season with purpose and to give your life in service to the king. That's how you're going to use your singleness. For some, that's going to be to voluntarily become a eunuch for a lifetime. And when I say some, I mean not many. But for some, for the rest to accept their temporary singleness as a mighty instrument given to them by God in the hands of God to be wielded for his purposes. And So let me say to all of us, single or married, your mission is to serve and to submit to the king in whatever season he's called you to. And what a joy that is because he is a good, good king who gives good assignments and good gifts and he wants to use us in this world. So single, teen, married person, how is God calling you to step out to serve for the sake of the kingdom? How is calling, God calling you in your current situation to serve him for the sake of the kingdom? What's that mean if you're married? Jesus says not everyone can receive being a eunuch. And if you're married, you and I are one of them. Praise God. Thank God for the gift of marriage and sex and devote yourself to serving the Lord with your spouse, with your family, enjoying these good gifts 
while not looking down on those who are not having that same gift. Because listen, in God's providence, we will all be single. Some of us have been single. Some of us will be single again through death, through divorce. And in the eternal kingdom, newsflash, in the eternal kingdom, we will all be married as the church to Jesus Christ. And this temporary glorious gift of marriage will be transcended, eclipsed by the eternal fellowship with Jesus Christ alongside of our spouse and alongside every other believer for all eternity in heaven. The point there is marriage is a temporary glory that's going to be exceeded by eternal exceeding glory. Marriage, even in its glorious nature, points to something greater. Just like the single life proclaims, you know, I, I don't have a spouse, but I am satisfied in Jesus Christ. I have eternal blessings in Jesus Christ. Again, though, most of us will marry. What about the 20-some, or the 30-some, or the 40-some, or the 50-some, or the 60-some single who wants to get married, but isn't? Parents, some of you have some of these in your home, perhaps. Some of you are friends with, some of you may be here this morning. They're trying, but it has to happen. I'm talking about the guy who has tried who has tried multiple girls and asked them out and rejection multiple times. I'm talking about the girl who has waited, saying, I'm, sing- I'm available. There's just nobody calling, nobody writing, nobody texting, nobody doing anything. They're called to celibacy in their season, but they're like, I don't think I'm called to a life of celibacy. How about this crowd? How about this group? If that's you, in that season, first strive for contentment in singleness. Even as you pursue marriage. That's a both and. Strive for contentment even as you pursue marriage. Trust that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He has chosen not to give something. Or he has taken away a spouse. Blessed be the Lord. Fight for contentment in every season. Including that season. It's not like this is the only season in life where you can't be content. Uh-uh. Fight for, strive for contentment in that season. It's not imperative. You might hear this sometimes. Maybe you've said this before to a single. You have to be completely content in the Lord before the Lord will give you a spouse. Ah, no, the Lord can give you a spouse even if you're fighting, even if you're fighting with discontentment. But it is a goal. It is important to strive for contentment even in your singleness. To say, Lord, I want a spouse, but give me joy, give me peace, give me faith in this season that I'm in. But the reality is, these singles say things like this. Marriage is a good thing. And I see in 1 Corinthians 7, if I want a good thing and I'm burning with passion, and I have sexual desires, I should get married. But, why would God give me this longing for all this, for a spouse and these urges, if he's not going to fulfill them? What then? Well, now we're in the arena of longing. Discontentment is knocking at the door, waiting, struggling, obeying. For them, you say being single is like a gift to them. And they're like, I see, I see that, but it, it feels like a trial. It feels like an affliction. It's a difficulty for them. And this, this yearning, listen, this yearning, this longing, it's not just for singles, right? Have you ever felt longing for something good? Yearning? waiting for a good desire? Like you look at the word and you say, this is a blessing, this is good, and I'm longing for it. But the Lord has not given it to me yet. Romans 8 says the entire creation is longing to be set free from the effects of sin. 
This is part of the entire creation order right now. Genesis 3, ever since then, we are a people that share the language of longing. If you're not longing right now, you will long someday. Unmet expectations, unsatisfied desires, unfulfilled longings for God's good, for blessings. I mean, that's what we say when we say, come Lord Jesus. There's, there's a healthy longing there. Come Lord, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. There's a longing there. I'm not talking about longings for vacations or a car or a better home or a yacht. I'm talking about longings for good desires, for God's good blessings. Like, God, you say they're good and I want it and you have not given it to me yet. I'm talking about that situation. Like, like God says, children are a blessing. And so why are we struggling with infertility and miscarriage? If you call them a blessing, why have you not blessed us? I'm talking about the person who says, I've been praying for the salvation of my friend or my brother or my father or my mother or my child. God, you desire all to be saved. Why is this not happening? And crying out to God, this is a, this is a good desire. And I'm not receiving it. Why would God give us longings for things he says are good to desire but leave those desires unmet? It's here, especially, we've, we've got to fight for faith with God's Word. With what He has said in His Word. Over our feelings, over our thoughts. I'm talking about verses like Psalm 34, 8, which says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 84, 11, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. To proclaim, I am not receiving bad right now. This is good that I'm receiving from the Lord. Even if I, it's, I'm struggling to believe it, this is a good thing. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Which means that when you, your greatest delight and longing is actually for the Lord, He will give you that desire. And so our unfulfilled longings, our yearnings, our wants should drive us to long for Jesus, for His goodness, for His nearness in the midst of our longing, for the hope of His coming, for the joy of heaven as we wait. That guards us from idolizing good gifts like marriage, like children, like salvation. Good things are good, but one thing is ultimate. To know Christ and to be known by Him. He is the better portion, so we ask God for blessings, for His good gifts, for His desires. But we remember, as Charles Spurgeon says, we remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are? Divine love would have put you there. We must believe in a God who works in his providence for our good in our longing. And proclaim what the psalmist, Psalm 16, 5 and 6, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lap. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And sometimes we got to read that again. Because we say it, we pray it, and we're like, I just, I'm not feeling it. The Lord, not anything else, not anything else that I'm longing for. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me. They have in pleasant places because they have come from the hand. The Lord has drawn these lines from the hand of God. And I have a beautiful inheritance that transcends anything else good that I even, even right now that I want. And so single, in your longings, cast those on the Lord. In times you may lament. Cast them on the Lord. Remember, this season is an opportunity. It has tremendous advantages, so live with purpose. Look, look on Jesus in the garden. He, he cries out to his Father, is there any other way? And then he gets up, he went to the cross, and he gave his perfect, single, never-sinned life 
as a punishment for your sins. But the joy set before him because he knew he would have a people for himself and he knew you might be able to come to him and have a beautiful inheritance when he gave his life. Set your mind there. Remember the the secure joy, the eternal promises you have in him because as we fix our affections on him, on his good gifts, on his salvation, on our beautiful inheritance, we become oh so much more grateful for the many gifts God has, has given us than focus on the things he has not given us. We live on mission as God's blood-bought child faithfully where we are with the gifts and the blessings he's given us. That's how we remain rooted in the gospel and devoted, single, married, any season of your life with God-oriented purpose, with our affections fixed on Jesus Christ. Single with purpose. Now, I believe, though, that there's more to be said to the single who does not believe that they are called to a life of celibacy which I want to speak into as well. So point number two, single and preparing. Single and preparing. Jesus says in verse 11, not everyone can receive a life without marriage, but only to those whom it is given. That's what Paul gets out in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says in verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So if you're burning with passion and with sexual longings, fighting to be self-controlled and pure, recognize that God's good gift to you is marriage. And it's a wonderful, beautiful, glorious gift from the creator of everything good. Genesis, 1, Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not going to solve every temptation, not going to, getting married is not going to solve every temptation, but it is God's provision to those not called to lifelong celibacy. So some of us may need to hear that, struggling, struggling the fight, try, trying to put off pornography, try, trying to put off these sexual longings. A word is, well, 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 7, 9, burning with passion, get married. Some of us need to hear that this morning. Here's the point. If you're single... A teen, a young adult, an older single, and as far as you can tell, you have desires for sexual intimacy and companionship, then view this season of your life in part as a season of preparation for marriage. So what should you be doing in this season? Preparing. Striving to be content. We talked about that. Striving to be content and preparing for marriage. Serving the Lord in your freedom as a single. Committing fully to a church. Studying hard. Having good doctrinal convictions from His Word. Avoiding friendships and temporary relationships that just drive you into foolish, childlike behavior. Growing up. Maturing. Putting away money. Paying off debt. You should be preparing in this season as a single. So let's talk about this. Singles. Parents of singles. Parents of teens. Don't let your culture define this season for you. Listen, the, the Jewish culture was not perfect, but their women married at 12 and 14, and their men married around 16, 17, 18. And our culture is a whole lot different. It's not agricultural. I'm not advocating you know, women getting married at 12, but what I am saying is that, you know, people ask me, why does the Bible talk about singleness a whole lot? Well, because there wasn't that long period of singleness. Adolescence didn't exist. That's a term we created. You're not going to find adolescence in the Bible. But increasingly in our world, we, we place low expectations on our young people. Science says that brains don't mature until 25. And so they're not, 
teens, young adults, they're not of much use until they're 25. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's what our culture tells us. Low expectations. We actually expect teens to rebel in their teenage years. That's the expectation. I, I hear people say that. I hear my neighbors say that. Like, oh, yeah, your kids, they're going to be awful when they're like 13 and 18. They'll come around eventually. Like, should that be our expectation? It's a reality, but should we expect that? Just, uh, just chalk those years up to rebellious years. I look at Scripture, and the biblical expectation is that you grow up as a child. Your foolishness is driven out by discipline. You mature in the home. You're raised in the instruction of the Lord. And this isn't a promise, promise but... Usually, the Lord uses that faithfulness to save you, and likely, one day, you leave that home and you get married. That's our expectation for our kids. And if you, but if you trace this historically, the whole idea of singleness, if you go back into the pages of history, in the early church, in the early hundreds, the sanctity of marriage was upheld. They saw what Paul wrote. They held the sanctity of marriage high. Around the 4th century, you get these people, though, the, in the church, saying that clergy should remain celibate. Now you have a switch. And increasingly, that's it's right around when more and more people became monks, the monasteries began to grow, more and more people became nuns. And there's a switch later as you go in the 7th century and the 8th century of saying that singleness and celibacy is a higher calling than marriage. So marriage... Way down here, higher calling of singleness. And, then you, and that exists for a long time until you get to the 1500s, the beginnings of the Reformation. And you see a guy named Martin Luther, who's a monk, who is celibate. And in 1524, he says, he's reading Genesis, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And he says, I'm a monk. I'm done with this. Love of this. He leaves for other reasons as well, but he leaves He's no longer a monk. He gets married. He has six kids. And soon after that, the Reformation says, whoa, we totally, yeah, they missed this thing. Marriage is an incredible gift. Let's pursue that. And thankfully, that has been the mark of the church for for a long time. It's the mark of this church. Let's Let's uphold the sanctity of marriage. Here's what I want to say, though. Let's not do that to the exclusion of us saying singleness is bad. We can say both. Singleness and marriage are beautiful gifts for those who can receive them. To those who give them, and, and when I say that, I, see, I mean that, that God gives specific situations and callings to people. So we don't need to look around and say, one's better than the other in that scenario. But here's the thing. You turn your page to 2023, and you all see it. We've got a problem. We're confused about singleness and marriage. And we've created this expectation of perpetual, aimless singleness. Like, look at any university. Jason, I'm glad you you prayed about University of Akron. Go to University of Akron if you've never gone. Look at any university. You have a bunch of students pursuing an education. Good. A bunch of 20-year-olds who are still boys and who are still girls. Like, 20 20 years old does not automatically make you a man or a woman. Boys and girls chasing foolish things. And this is what the culture tells them. They affirm it. You're free. You're single. Live it up. Waste the season. Avoid marriage until your late 20s or 30s. Not for the sake of the kingdom, but because lifelong commitment is hard. Keep your options open. Be afraid of difficulties and divorce and pursue pleasure and freedom. 
Cultivate immature and selfish desires while you have a chance. Men, go enjoy yourself for a while. Women, build your career. Get around the babies, but maybe not until your 30s. Build a good career first. Pursue your dreams and your fulfillment. And if you're not satisfied, go to pornography or stay up playing video games night after night. Go to parties. Be consumed by hobbies and sports and date around and hook up. Try out the privileges of marriage before being ready to take on the responsibility of marriage. But don't commit to anything. Don't grow up. See, our culture affirms perpetual singleness for those not gifted for it. To the point when somebody does decide that they want to get married, if they fall into love, like this invisible force draws them to fall into love with somebody, they have not prepared for it, they have not considered its covenantal requirements. That's why we see divorce rampant in our society. These are men and women who have not been prepared so listen, teens and singles and young adults, I'm not, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying don't have fun. Enjoy God's good gifts in this world, because there are many. Have hobbies and interests, make good friendships. But here's my concern for the young people here. Here's my concern. Some of you might be here. I'm concerned that, you, I'm concerned that some of you may get sucked into the American dream are getting sucked in, are right there sucked in, that idolizes you and your pleasure and your dream and your time and your priorities above God and His desire and His purposes and His calling. And so my word to you is to upend cultural expectations with biblical wisdom. Run, run from those empty lusts and promises and freedom of the vanity fair around you. Get wisdom. Get insight. Own your decisions. Be responsible. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Pursue manhood and woman. Don't get stuck in boyhood and girlhood. If you're a man, if you're a boy, figure out what it looks like to be a man because you're different than a girl. If you're a girl, figure out what it looks like to be a woman. Commit to Christ and follow him as Lord. Don't waste this season of your life. And if you don't know how to do it, go talk to somebody older than you who seems to have it figured out. Start with your parents. And listen, parents, pre- preparing your children for adulthood, it's, it's swimming upstream. Because this is the banner that they're hearing and that you're hearing. And there's, there's a lot of immaturity and growth that needs to happen with young kids and teenagers and young adults. But that's why they're in your homes. With parents called to disciple them into becoming men and women committed to the Lord. Committed to believing communities called churches. To teach through example and biblical instruction what it looks like to be a man or a woman in marriage. And to display our differences in our gender roles even in the broad category of singleness. That is possible. There are differences that exist between a man and woman even in singleness as well. So listen, I hope, I hope you're getting the point here. It's a season of preparation. Proverbs twenty four twenty seven says, Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. So what does that look like? Preparing and then building the house. What does that look like? Let, let's land for a bit here talking about specifically men and women. I'm thinking of a young men and older singles and young women and older single women. But I think it's applicable to any man and any woman to an extent here. But first, in the season for a young man or an older, older single man or parents of boys and young men or a church called to exhort and challenge young men and older men, Let's let them know that first, this is a season for you to grow strong in the Lord. 
to grow in your understanding and love for the word. Make it clear that he's your first love. Not a spouse, not anybody else. Satisfaction in him. Beyond that, find ways to lead, serve, protect, and provide for others, including other women, and not to waste this season. Andreas Kostenberger writes this about young men. He says, young men hold particular promise and potential for the good in the kingdom. And I want to say amen. But they also have pronounced points of vulnerability, which Satan will seek to attack to render them ineffective. Young men, you do not want to be ineffective as a man. So ask for the Spirit's empowering to guard yourself from succumbing to sexual temptation in every form. I'm speaking to young women as well as applicable, but especially young men on their computer, on your phone, what you do with your body, what you're thinking, build strong walls, flee youthful passions. And Paul puts it so clearly, urge the young men to be self-controlled. What should you be telling young men, parents? Urge them to be self-controlled. That'll cover a whole lot of bounds. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Broken into, ineffective. A lack of self-control will ruin this season. So when you do sin, though, because you're going to sin, and you're not going to have self-control perfectly, when you do sin, run to the Lord and repent and receive His forgiveness and then get back up and run the race as men. Get up and run. This is a season, men, to be responsible in your job. If you don't have a job, getting a job and responsible with your finances. You're preparing to be a Genesis 224 man who leaves his father and his mother and holds fast to his wife. And this is where the church is so crucial. Finding older men to keep you accountable, that you can look up to, that you can receive mentorship from and learn from. And men, when it, when it comes to dating or courtship, your job is to become a man someone would want to be in a relationship with. Right? Like to be a, a man that a woman would actually want to go out with. And so you know you're ready to pursue a woman when you are that man. Not perfect, not without weaknesses, but growing, strong in your confidence and conviction in the Lord, becoming responsible materially, able to provide or pursuing the ability to provide. And guys, when you're in a position to pursue a woman, shape your desires for a woman by Proverbs 31 by what Scripture says about the young women that you should be pursuing or the older women that you should be pursuing. Not someone who, who can make you happy, first and foremost, but someone you can serve Christ alongside of well because they're serving Christ, because they fear the Lord. But I want to say this, though, for the young men. Last word for the young men. Proverbs 31. But don't have your expectations so high that when there's a bunch of godly women around you, you, don't, you won't ask them out because you say, my, my expectations are so high, they're just, they don't, they're just, like they meet nine out of 10, but they're missing this one little thing. Make sure your expectations are rightly ordered. What I want to say to the guys is sometimes you just need to step out in faith. Even when it doesn't feel comfortable, even when you're, if you're burning with passion of a mature age and there are godly women around you, Pursue them. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So go find a good thing and obtain favor from the Lord. When you're of a mature age. So if you just heard all that and you're 12, wait a few years. (laughs) 
Young women, young women, older single women, parents of girls, first grow strong in your relationship with the Lord. Priority number one, make him your first love. Even if God gives you a man someday, that man will not satisfy you. It's not going to happen. Your satisfaction is Jesus Christ. So make sure you get that down pat. But then from that, find ways to cultivate a submissive spirit. A helping, a nurturing, a serving disposition. Cultivating modesty and purity while preparing to be a diligent, hardworking, blessing to others like the woman in Proverbs 31. So women, here especially the call to adorn yourselves in respectable apparel, apparel with modesty and self-control. 1 Timothy 2, 9. To let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty, perishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. 1 Peter 2, 4. To be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, self-controlled, pure, kind. Titus 2. Proverbs 31, 30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Be a woman who fears the Lord. And if you're a beautiful woman, a beautiful young woman, that's a gift from the Lord that you are called to steward with wisdom. To display that gift in a feminine way that modestly exalts the fact that you're a woman, but exalts the giver, serves your brothers, and waits to give yourself fully to a husband. So let me say to the the woman who is single but wants to be in a relationship, I can go tell the guys, go get married, go pursue. To the woman who wants to be married, feels cold to be married, but isn't, that's not an easy place to be in. It's a season of waiting and hope, of crying out to God, patiently accepting where he has you, but the call is to stay on mission. To faithfully, there's a place for you to faithfully use your gifts and the advantages as an opportunity to serve the church, to serve the Lord, to invest in other young women, to be a blessing, and to cultivate life as you should do as a woman in your singleness. Preparing to run a home that is a blessing to all. I I think of Rebecca, I think of Ruth, serving those around them even as they waited. But women, don't, don't lower your biblical standards of a husband. Wait for a man who is a godly man. Not a perfect man. A godly man who is leading by initiating when he comes knocking on your door with his faults and with his little quirks. Remember, he's not a perfect guy, but when he, when he tries, give him a try. Go grab coffee with him. And then make a decision after one or two or three times. Give it a try. And while you long for the fulfillment of a husband or miss your former husband, know that Jesus is sufficient for your every need in, in your longing. Let's land here. Listen, single woman, single man, never married, widowed, divorced, you have eternal blessings in Jesus Christ. And you are a gift and you are a blessing in this church. I'm going to say this one more time, and I, want, I really want to hear the church amen. Single women, single men, never married, widowed, divorced, you have eternal blessings in Jesus Christ, and you are a gift and a blessing to this church. And church, let us continue to exhort and encourage the unmarried in our midst to keep the faith and to pursue the Lord wholeheartedly, single-mindedly. Let's pray. That's right. Lord, we are so thankful for you. Thankful for your guidance in your word. We would be totally lost without it. I... We're going to step out here soon and engage with the world as we should, but we're going to see a world that is tossed to and fro that just doesn't know what it believes about anything, and it changes 
century to century and year to year. But we have your unchangeable word and we ask that it would guide us, that you would send us out today in light and in truth and that it lead us. Pray for those in any category who are in a season of longing and of waiting and of yearning for good things, that you would draw near to them, that you would give them your gift of peace that surpasses all understanding. We praise you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me.